Welcome to The Inside. After 18 months of stops and starts, the movie business is getting back to business this week. Encouraged by the success of Marvel's Shang-Chi, which has now sold more than $300 million in tickets, more good news arrived at theaters. The second installment of Venom from Sony Pictures exceeded expectations with more than $100 million in ticket sales so far, while overseas, James Bond broke box office records with more than $120 million in tickets sold. I am Jim Chabin in Los Angeles, and with me is our co-host for this series, Wim Byans. He serves as CEO of Cineonic, and he joins us live tonight from Barcelona, where it's evening. Good evening, Wim. Hey, Jim. Good morning to you. Last week, when we had Paul Dergarabedian, the the senior analyst at Comscore, we asked him, what should we be looking for to measure how successful these movies are? And he said, if you can have a 50, but certainly if you can have a $100 million weekend, those are going to be considered really healthy indicators. Well, we had Venom and James Bond both uh, generate those kinds of figures on their first weekend. So it seems as if the numbers seem to be relatively healthy. No, 100%. I think we need that, right? If you want to bring the industry back up into a different gear, you need to get content like this. And I think it's it, it will continue over the course of Q4 of this year because there's still some great titles to come. So we need that, right? We need strong opening weekends and we need to have them for several weeks within the theaters. Um, and that also shows that the theatrical window is important and is really holding strong. People like to go out to the movies uh, and these titles, uh, when you have good content like that, is definitely showing itself. Well, we are back from the summer holidays and the news every single day is filled with headlines with stories that range from a potential labor strike in Hollywood to major mergers and acquisitions by some of the media and entertainment industry's biggest companies. And um, we wanted to get a guest on who could talk to us a little bit about what really is happening in the news. Today, we have an expert on what's going on behind the scenes. Ted Johnson is one of the most widely read journalists in the media industry. As the Washington correspondent for Deadlines Hollywood, he covers the business of media and entertainment, including the industry mergers and acquisitions. He joins us from Washington, D.C. Welcome, Ted Johnson. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Ted, first of all, you have followed the media and entertainment space for more than 30 years. There seems to be a great deal of talks about technology changing consumer habits and the impact it would have on, on going to the movies. What's, in your opinion, the future of the shared consumer experience? And are you optimistic or pessimistic about that? Oh, I think, uh, well, first of all, ever since I've covered the business, I've, I've, about more than 30 years, people have been talking, oh, the business is changing, the business is changing. And then then you're like, oh, gosh, prepare for something dramatic to happen. And then it never really changes. It really becomes, you really realize, God, this is such a business of relationships. But I think what we're seeing now is a, is a different animal. Because as you mentioned, you are talking about a change in consumer habits, the way people actually consume content. And you have all these people signing up for streaming services, HBO Max, Paramount Plus. So I do I do believe that it is different. I still think that is 
probably a little more gradual than it is, you know, this is a overnight turn of events. But I am uh, actually optimistic. I think that this spells actually a really quite a boom in content. I mean, 10 years ago, we were talking about, is there a content bubble? And here we are uh, a decade later, and it seems to have only only grown. And that that can only be good for, I think, the industry and uh, for Los Angeles in general. I think that uh, LA, you're seeing some of the big streaming companies have located there, the center of the entertainment industry. So I think it I think it in the long term, it bodes well. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of friction along the way. But your sense is that the appetite, the consumer appetite for content is nothing if it's not increasing. And that at least for the time being, there seems to be a market for both cinema and streaming and uh, traditional over the air programming. Yeah, yeah. And I mentioned, you know, how it's it's probably a, a gradual change. I wouldn't be surprised if we see more studios in terms of cinema kind of reduce the number of releases they have each year as they direct more of their priorities uh, to streaming. Uh, there will be some kind of a shakeout. Not all of these streamers are going to are going to fly. But I do feel like, you know, it's it it is a good time for content and the audience uh, actually will be there. Christopher Dolan has been a longtime Warner Brothers director. He made Batman movies, Inception, Tenet, all of those movies at, at Warner Brothers. He's very upset that the studio put a great deal of emphasis on streaming and he wants his movies in theaters. He has just announced that he's making his new movie at Universal Studios. Do you think we're going to see major talent moving to places where they can assure themselves of a cinema release? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Just depends on who you are. Christopher Nolan has a track record and obviously has some leverage. It just depends on on how far you can dictate the terms of these deals. Yeah, there is a, a segment of the industry that is certainly not as bullish on streaming and a all streaming future than other talent. Well, it's interesting that James Bond is going to be a theatrical release, but Shang-Chi has been this tremendous success story for Marvel and Disney, and it's been a theatrical release. Do you think we're getting enough input and enough data together to start making some judgments on uh, whether or not a a motion picture is diminished by sending it to, to, to streaming? I still think that you need a little more testing of the audience. Um, I, I think James Bond is probably going to be a really good case, how well it does ultimately theatrically, as opposed to other past James Bond movies. It's probably a, a pretty good title to compare things against versus, you know, the audience have been cannibalized in any case. So keep our eyes on James Bond, huh? Keep your eyes on James Bond. Yeah. Right. This has been a year of a great deal of ownership changes. You talk to the senior leaders of AT&T. When they bought and then they sold Warner Brothers to Discovery, what has happened there? What went wrong in your opinion? Well, yeah, AT&T buying Time Warner was probably the biggest deal over the, one of the biggest deals over the last five years, Disney Fox being in the other one that really brought about structural change. Uh, but uh, probably first and foremost was a uh, clash of cultures. You have uh, AT&T based in Dallas and just uh, it didn't quite mix well with uh, Warner Brothers, which is kind of the, 
I've always thought of as kind of the Cadillac of the studios. Uh, It had this reputation as the best uh, studio for talent. uh, And that really has carried on for for a number of decades. But also AT&T and the government actually challenged the AT&T Time Warner merger. And this came up during the trial. AT&T also uh, came into this with a lot of debt. They had another asset that uh, was shedding subscribers, that being DirecTV. And I think that they also had a priority that they needed to uh, invest heavily in Spectrum to finance their, uh, their telecom business. And it became a matter of choice. You know, are we a content company or are we what we have traditionally been, uh, which is a, a phone and telecom company? And you had a new CEO who was able to make that call, uh, even though this merger lasted only a couple of years. I know that there was there there were people in the government who frowned on this merger who were who were uh, kind of shook their heads and you know could have told you that. So, AT and T was faced with five G is coming, heavily capital intensive. We can invest in that but we don't want to invest in that and turn around and put the kinds of Netflix announced last year, $18 billion will be spent yeah. in these 12 months in content. We don't want to compete in that game. Let's get out of it and stick to our, to our phone business. Yeah. To do it effectively, to do HBO max effectively. I think they saw the writing on the wall that it was going to take a much heavier investment in content. They already had invested heavily in content, but I guess you can't you can't have both when you're a company that had that high of a level of debt. When AT and T is a technical company, do you, how does a technical company buy a creative company and manage it effectively from a leadership standpoint? Is that a challenge? <laughs> That's an understatement, Jim. In my opinion, I think that yeah. if the DNA of a company is like, you know, coming from an engineering company, you know, uh, called Baco, uh, you know, if that's your DNA, you don't turn it around overnight, right? And an acquisition could be great if you can manage it on, on an arm's length kind of, you know, approach, and, and if it is big enough on its own. So, of course, that, that's possible. Then you have a collection of multiple, I would say, DNAs within a holding. But but changing the DNA of a company is, is tough, especially of that size, uh, and being that ingrained and DNA is, is, is good, right? That that's the bone. That's that's what the company breathes. So so I think it's tough. If you want to change the DNA, just buying a creative company is not going to do it. In my opinion, you're going to have to give them arm's length. You're going to have to give them room to be able to be what they need to be. So, if I if I may add and interject, uh, this came up during the trial. Actually, before the AT and T Time Warner merger was ever even approved, the government, as part of its case, said, "Hey, this merger isn't even going to work because you're going to have this clash of cultures." And they even brought up an instance where the AT and T guys came to HBO and said, "Hey, we have this, you know, this special technical data." that you can use in how you select your content. And that, that kind of landed with a lead balloon over the people who led HBO at the, at the time who kind of prided themselves over being able to select their programming based on their own instincts, their own creative instincts. And uh, that, was, that was a case right there, even before the merger was ultimately com- consummated. So... Talking about a different one, right? The James Bond movie is out in theaters and doing well, right, as we speak. Amazon is in the process of buying MGM Studios, which, you know, have produced this franchise for more than 60 years now. What do we expect is going to happen there 
And will MGM still be making movies for theaters, you believe? Yes, I, I think that uh, the plan is for Amazon, if, they're, if they purchase MGM, if that goes through, if that gets the green light from government regulators to continue producing movies as a studio, just from my standpoint, I still think a theatrical release and the excitement around the theatrical release, release can only help even in, in a promotional sense, uh, drawing attention to what you might see on Amazon Prime. So I think that there's a good rationale still for, for Amazon to continue to producing those, those releases, even if you know, the ultimate intent is to fill its uh, streaming service. The interesting thing is Amazon is proposing to buy MGM. I think the price tag is about $9 billion. And when you consider mergers that have come through, that's pretty small potatoes. And when the merger was first announced, uh, I think a lot of people had this feeling like, oh, well, it'll, it'll be no problem getting uh, approval from the government, in this case, the Federal Trade Commission. But what has happened is the Biden administration has come in and they have started to fill some of these regulatory roles with people who are very hard line on, on mergers, who want to kind of put the brakes, uh, especially when it involves tech companies. So there is a lot of pressure on the people who are studying the Amazon merger uh, with uh, MGM to scrutinize it or maybe even block it. Because you're dealing with Amazon, they feel like Amazon has just gotten too big. It was able to buy disparate businesses and then kind of enter the market and dominate the market. The problem that the government has, if they were to try to challenge the merger, is the courts. Amazon could come in and say, well, okay, sue us, try to block this merger. The courts are very clear in recent decisions over Amazon's, maybe not right, but Amazon's ability to buy a disparate business like, like MGM. Uh, so I think Amazon kind of has court precedent on their side uh, if the government were to ultimately challenge it. And that's, a, that's one of the big questions in Washington is, is will the government actually take that step and, and try to go up against Amazon? Do you think you will see merging acquisitions on the cinema side also? Yeah, there seems to be some expectation that we'll see. Even before the pandemic, I think there was this feeling that uh, there, there was uh, kind of an oversaturation of the market, especially in the United States, and uh, that we would, you know, there were, there were already financial troubles for some of the, the big exhibitors and that we would see some more of the consolidation. And I often think the pandemic only accelerated trends. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see more, especially more regional exhibitors, some mergers, some consolidation on that side. How about at the media company level? Are, are we done for a while or are we gonna see more? Well, I think uh, probably probably right now, people are looking at the uh, the Amazon MGM merger and see how the government responds, you know, testing, you know, what is the appetite right now uh, for a merger, even of that size. And that's probably uh, playing in their calculations before pulling the trigger uh, because the Biden administration has been pretty clear that they want 
they want people in there who are going to closely scrutinize these mergers and in some case block the merger. How about D- Discovery's purchase of Warner Brothers? Well, that that is a little bit of a different case. There seems to be a lot of sentiment that that will, will get approval in large part because it's a unwinding a merger that a lot of people didn't like in the first place. Our guest today is writer Ted Johnson of Deadline Hollywood. We'll be right back. The Insiders is proudly presented by Cineonic. Cineonic's future-ready enhanced services and technology solutions provide compelling cinema experiences, peace of mind, and financial flexibility. Today, with more than 95,000 projectors installed globally, cinemas around the world trust laser projection by Cineonic to power the next generation of moviegoing. Visit Cineonic.com today and discover why theaters look to Cineonic to provide the solutions of tomorrow today. Our insider today is journalist Ted Johnson of Deadline. There has been a great deal of talk that we could actually have a labor strike in Hollywood in the coming week. What's your thought about it and what kind of effect would that have? This involves IATSE. Uh, That's the name for the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees. They represent the -the below-the-line workers in the industry, stagehands. And uh, earlier this week, they authorized by an overwhelming margin, uh, a strike vote. Uh, 90, I think it was up to 98%. Uh, that Now, there's a big difference between authorizing a strike and actually going out on strike. Uh, uh, to a certain extent, a lot is up to union leadership, the people who are actually negotiating with the studios. Uh, we've seen this before where unions authorize a strike and the strike never happens. So there is a bit of breathing room there. There's a ways to go before uh, before we have this potential industry shutdown. And I do, though, I think that it is a kind of a moment of uh, pretty good leverage for IATSE, not just with the strike authorization vote, but at this time when there's this uh, huge thirst for content uh, with the studios, with the Netflixes, the Amazons, uh, they need to fill their pipelines. And uh, to a certain extent, I really do feel like these below the one line workers are hitting it at probably an opportune moment where they hold a lot of cards. Ted, there's a great uh, deal of management change. Uh, Jim Giannopoulos is leaving as chairman of Paramount Studios, being replaced with a television executive. Bob Chapek has taken charge at Disney and will fully take charge by the end of the year. David Zaslov of Discovery will soon take over Warner Brothers. What does this mean for the cultures of these companies? Uh, does it does a new CEO change the course of um, of the industry? You know, it's funny. I, I yes, I, I think they change. Surely, can change the culture of a uh, of a company. But I tend to think, well, you know, you took take the case of. Um, of uh, Jim Giannopoulos at Paramount. Uh, now Brian Robbins is coming in. He, I, I believe he's also going to run Nickelodeon at the same time. So much of this, it seems to me, comes down to what relationships do some of these CEOs have with the talent? Don't forget the talent side of this, you know, because often you, you deal with mergers or new CEOs and their success is going to depend on 
their relationships and who are they able to get over into the Paramount fold? Who are they able to get over in the Disney fold or, or Warner Brothers? Uh, because it's going to come, especially when you're dealing with, at a point when they're dealing with filling their streaming services with content, it's going to depend on getting the top names over there to actually uh, make something that people want to watch. There was another merger this last week announced between two of the top talent agencies in Hollywood. What's afoot there and how big a voice in all of this is the talent? Do they, do they really have the clout necessary to, to decide what, what movies go to cinema and what movies go to streaming? Well, I think that that is a big concern in the industry. And, uh, and I can't help but think that CAA merging with ICM is a reaction to the growing side of some of the streaming giants, primarily Netflix, and what looks what could be some consolidation, maybe not, if not in the next couple of years, further down the road. But I think potentially even more impactful, bizarrely enough, might be the, the Scarlett Johansson lawsuit that she filed against Disney, where she claimed that Disney uh, shifted the release of her movie from a theatrical to a streaming to her detriment. Now, they just settled the lawsuit last week. We reported it was about a $40 million settlement. Uh, but these types of cases tend to have precedent, not in a legal sense, but uh, when a ta- another talent comes around to make the deal, they will make sure that they take care of that element. Uh, I can guarantee you that once this went public that other talent agents will come along and make sure that, you know, they deal with this question of, hey, the studio can't just shift to a streaming if we thought it was going to be theatrical. Discovery's controlling shareholder, John Malone, said that Warner Media and Discovery, which he'll be a major force in, will eventually be open to a future merger with NBC Universal if the regulatory forces allow it. You think that's so their discovery takes over Warner Media and then the potential is to fold Warner Media into NBC Universal? Yeah, I mean, there are the alarm bells start to ring uh, from a regulatory environment. Uh, the merger of Comcast with NBC Universal in DC is regarded as one that perhaps shouldn't have been approved. These are by public interest advocates. They certainly were opposed to it, but even some members of the Obama administration, which ultimately approved that merger. Now we're in a much more hardline regulatory environment than we were back then. So I think that they, if, if, if they were to propose something, they would have to really navigate, uh, navigate the politics of that situation because all of the concerns over vertical integration uh, would would be magnified by something like that when you mer- merge these these two legacy studios. There, there's a great deal of speculation about the family controlling CBS Viacom, the Redstone family, Sherry Redstone, being interested in in finding a merging partner for CBS Viacom. Do you think that's in the cards? Yeah, I mean, I think any of these companies obviously are are looking at other mergers and situations given where we are right now in the market. So. Uh, the, the the whole idea that that you need the heft to compete in the streaming market, especially with the Netflixes of the world. 
So this is really, in many respects, this is these are companies that are looking at the capital requirements of competing in the marketplace with tech giants and realizing that they aren't big enough? That they aren't big enough, yeah, yeah. Because when you look at Netflix, uh, when you look at Amazon, I mean, far greater resources uh, than the studios ever had. Yeah, yeah. Netflix announcing $18 billion in production. Oh, yeah, I mean, which is just... You know, it would be in the single digits before with some of the major studios. Well, Ted, I think what 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 we're learning from you is that the companies that we have thought of as very, very large entertainment conglomerates are actually likely to get bigger. And we're probably going to see fewer of them, not more, uh, as as the content people learn to compete with the tech people. Is that kind of your your sense? That's my sense. Yeah. Uh, just uh, having covered the business for a while, that seems to be the trend lines. I, I still think that Disney Fox kind of, you know, opened the, opened the door to the idea that some of the legacy studios could merge. There was nothing set in stone for some of the traditional big five, big six to to always stay uh as separate entities. Well, there was a, there was a fair amount of uh, speculation that that Apple would make a move at some point to purchase uh, a, a company. There was a fair amount of speculation that it, at one point it might have been Apple buying Disney. Is Apple expected to put a card down here, or do you think they're going to stay with their their current uh, strategy of creating some content but not really being a dominant player? Yeah, I. Um I still think that they're in the game that uh, that I wouldn't be surprised if they purchase something, uh, especially as they have had some success with Apple Plus, their streaming service, especially some creative success. They won a few Emmys that that goes a long way of probably convincing the executives at Apple that, hey, we have something here. If Apple tried to buy Disney or one of the other major companies, what kind of uh, regulation would that set off? What kind of antitrust would that set off? Well, I guess Apple buying Disney, uh, you would probably have a concern, again, among politicians. You would add concern over a tech giant now gobbling up uh, the largest entertainment company. I think it would create a lot of shockwaves. Now, whether a government effort to block the merger could actually withstand a court challenge, you know, uh, is a whole other question just based on the way that antitrust laws are written right now. I'm not so sure that the way the laws are written would necessarily give the government the authority to actually block the merger. Wim, every week, I think our guests are going to help us understand the marketplace and Every week, I learn how little I know (laughs) (laughs) and how much more there is happening that we're going to have to learn about. Uh, What do you make of all this? I think as the movie business, you know, how we look at it is very much changing. And and we talked about consumer behavior and how to take care of that. At the same token, behind the scenes, right, the technology companies and also the, the creative companies, right, are changing. And I think it's trying to find a new balance, right, whatever that's going to be. I don't think that bigger is better always, by the way. I think we need to get more creators. We need to get better content and we need to get better technology, right? And the question is, how do you get that, right? And I think sometimes you get that from competition. Sometimes you get that from companies being innovative, right? And and you don't always have to be big to the opposite. So I, I hope that, that there's going to be a lot of room for small, innovative companies on the creative side, 
and on the technology side, because that's what we need also to, to keep on going to the next uh, level of, of great products and, and, and great customer experiences. Well, Ted, uh, we read you every day, continue the great work. Thank you for making sense of all the news that's happening for your readers and for us. And thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Our quote of the day comes from Veronica Kwan Vandenberg, president of distribution at Universal. She was thrilled with the results of No Time to Die, saying, this is a huge confidence boost for the entire industry. With the right circumstances and the right movie, audiences will come back and embrace the theatrical experience. In short, this was a great week. Thank you, Ted. Thank you, Wim. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. The Insiders is presented by Cineonic and produced by the Advanced Imaging Society in Hollywood. Our executive producers are Adam Castles in New York and Mike Pilsecker in Los Angeles. Brett Harrison produced today's show, and our technical director is Matthew Bach Lombardo. This is AIS. <laughs>